two weeks ago, we started a new series called Teach Us to Pray. Each morning before I go to work, Allison and I have a little Devo time together, and we always pray the Lord's Prayer. And every time we start praying it, we kind of pray it in sync together, and Evelyn always notices. She'll be playing with her toys and start looking at both of us back and forth because we're speaking together at the same time, and we go through the whole Lord's Prayer, and then together we say, Amen, and then Evelyn says, Ada. <laughs> And as her parents, we believe that this makes her a genius. Um, she's, yeah, she already knows the Lord's Prayer. We're not trying to brag or anything. But what we see is that prayer is taught. It's a beautiful thing we see on display each and every day with Evelyn. Prayer is taught. That's what this whole series is about. Lord, teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray as we should. And so Jesus teaches us how to pray. Last week, we talked about the line, our Father who art in heaven. And the good news of that line of the Lord's Prayer is that even though we're estranged from God in our sin, Jesus came so that we could be adopted as his sons and daughters. The Son of God came so that we could be sons and daughters of God. And this week, we're talking about the line, hallowed be thy name. You know, I think this one might be the most foreign or strange to us as 21st century Americans. I think the only place that some people have even heard this word hallowed before is from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. People don't know what this word even means, but it doesn't have to be scary. It's an older English verb that means to honor as holy. So when Jesus says to pray to God, hallowed be thy name, we could interpret it as, Lord, may your name be honored as holy. But even this interpretation, I think, is pretty underwhelming for a lot of people. It might be the least provocative of the lines in the Lord's Prayer. I think a lot of people just kind of shrug and move on. But we need, we really need to unpack the meaning of this line. Because like every other line in the prayer, it has really good news for us today. This line helps us avoid two very different mistakes that Christians make when it comes to God. The first mistake that we often make is to approach God so seriously that we actually make him out to be unloving. The second mistake that we make is to approach God so casually that we think he's a peer. So let me talk about this first temptation. It's a very old one. In fact, pagans viewed their gods this way. If you actually look at how the pagans thought and prayed to and talked about their gods, it's almost like you didn't want to get to know them. The pagan gods were unreliable. Sometimes they were cruel. They were more unjust than human beings. They couldn't control their emotions. They flied off the handle. They punished anyone who did one thing that they didn't want them to do. There's this kind of despair and hopelessness that the pagans had about their god because their gods weren't loving. The best thing that they could hope for is to never come into contact with them. And I think sometimes Christians can approach God so seriously that we make him out to be unloving, cold, and distant. The second temptation, I think, is a much more modern temptation. That we think of God as just like us. On our level, thinks like we do, acts like we act. We treat God as if he were our pal and not our Lord. And this is why Jesus needs to teach us how to pray. 
And I think this line, hallowed be thy name, covers both of these bases so that we treat God exactly the way we need to treat him. So here's a little roadmap for this morning. We're going to talk about Exodus chapter 3 and what God reveals his name to be. And we're going to move to the New Testament to see why it's such good news that God has a name. So, if you have a physical Bible with you this morning, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, we're going to go right back to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to walk through those verses slowly but surely, okay? Exodus chapter 3, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, if you don't have the Bible app on your phone, we'll have the verses on the screens as well, okay? We're telling the story of Moses this morning. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, if you know anything about the background of Moses, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He was an Israelite, but raised among Egyptians. And there was a lot of animosity between the Israelites and the Egyptians because Pharaoh had enslaved the Jews. Now, one day Moses goes out uh, and he sees a fellow Israelite slave who is being beaten by a slave master. And because he couldn't take it anymore, he decided, I'm going to pick sides. He protects the slave and kills the slave master, and he buries him in the sand. But by doing so, he obviously picks a side. And so Pharaoh decides he's going to kill Moses. Moses uh, has to slip away from Egypt as soon as he can. He goes all the way to this area uh, called Midian, and he settles down. He has a family, and he's away from his fellow Israelites. He's tending a flock all by himself. And then this happens. There at Horeb, the mountain of God, this is also called Mount Sinai, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. But clearly this is not normal fire at all. Moses sees that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And I love picturing Moses here standing in front of this incredible miracle and he thinks to himself, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. You can tell he's, he's afraid of what he's about to encounter. And when the Lord sees that Moses has gone over to look at the bush, God called to him from within the bush and says, Moses, Moses. He then shares what he knows the Israelites have gone through. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. He says, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and now I'm going to act on my covenant. I'm going to act on my promises, so go, Moses, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I love that Moses um, is very upfront with all of his securities for insecurities. He says, you know, who am I that I should go? And then this is one of my personal favorites. Yeah, suppose I do go to the Israelites, Lord, just hypothetically speaking, not pre-committing to it, but just out of curiosity, let's say that I did what you're telling me to do, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and then they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? You can tell how Moses is hesitant, but God has an answer. He doesn't say, Moses, that's the most ridiculous question I ever heard. I don't have a name. I'm too mysterious for you. No, no, no. He says, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Not Zeus, not Mars, not Baal, not Asherah. I am has sent me to you. Now, this two-word phrase, 
I am translates one Hebrew word with four letters. Hebrew is written from right to left, and those four letters are Yod, He, Wa, and He. In English, Y-H-W-H. In Hebrew, there are no vowels, only consonants. Now, if you saw the letters Y-H-W-H on a page, let me just say something that's obvious. That would be difficult to pronounce. Right? Even better, if you wanted to get Bible nerds arguing for a second, ask them what this name means. I mean, it's one thing to even imagine what this could possibly sound like, but how do you interpret this name? And theologians for 20 centuries have come up with many meanings for this name. That God doesn't rely on anyone else. He's totally self-existent. That God is unchanging. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some say it means that God is eternal. But no matter what you think it means, the Jews have treated this name as so holy they won't read it out loud in their synagogues. They'll be reading the Torah And they'll be reading out loud. And then when they come across this four-letter word in their book, they use a substitute word, Adonai, which means Lord or Master. I love that God reveals this name to us. Because God's divine name both reveals and conceals who he is. Think about this. Moses asks God, who are you? And God says, I am. I mean, if you could picture God's face, which is impossible, you could picture God smirking for a second. I mean, it's not like any other name on planet Earth. It's not Mitch, it's not Allison, it's not Sonny, it's not Jade, it's not, it's not like any of our names. You see it on the page and you don't even know what to say. Even if you were somehow given permission to say it out loud, you still wouldn't even know what it means. In a book called Jesus of Nazareth, a theologian once said, the word God revealed to Moses is a name and a not name at the same time. Wesley Hill says, God seems to be saying to Moses, you may call me by my name, but don't make the mistake of thinking you can comprehend me. The artwork of this series, whenever we first start start at the beginning, it's a picture of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. This is the last standing wall of the temple of God destroyed 2,000 years ago. I've been able to go to Israel twice in my lifetime, and both of those pilgrimages were amazing. And what I learned is that when you approach the Western Wall, it's so holy that after you finish praying there, you have to actually walk backwards away from it. You can see Jews and rabbis walk towards the wall, but after they're done praying at the wall, they always walk backwards. And the reason why is that wall is so holy, you can't turn your back on it. Going there and going to the church where, that was built on top of Jesus' resurrection and tomb, it just taught me the holiness of God. Imagine that, treating something so holy you won't turn your back to it. But here's the, the amazing truth from this passage. God's name is so holy, we cannot approach God casually. Just think about how many stories in the Bible reveal the holiness of God. Of the top ten commands that God gives, what's the third one? You shall not misuse what? The name of the Lord your God. 
The Jews of 2,000 years ago believed that blasphemy, misusing God's name, was so serious, it was one of the reasons they wanted to kill Jesus. This is actually why we read John chapter 8 today. Jesus almost dies in chapter 8 because of the name he uses for himself. Let's go back to this conversation in John chapter 8. The people in front of Jesus ask him, who are you? And he says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. They answered him, well, we don't know who you are, but we are Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says, I get it. I know you are Abraham's descendants. The problem is that you are looking for a way to kill me. And if you were Abraham's children, if you imitated your father, then you would do what Abraham did. But you are doing the works of your own father. You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And then they ask, who do you think you are? And his answer to that is very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, look at this verse again, at that very moment, they pick up stones to stone him. That's, that, they're trying to kill him because he said that. I was talking to my neighbor last night about um, Jesus' own claims in the gospel. Uh, sometimes we, we separate what the apostles said about Jesus, but what Jesus said about himself. But think about this for a second. Sometimes we want, God to, we want Jesus to come right out and say, I am God. But the way Jesus makes these claims are, are in a Jewish way. He says, I am. Every Jew who heard that would know he's claiming to be God. That's why they pick up stones. What they don't realize is that Jesus is God, and now God goes by two names. And that human name is Jesus. I think this is one of the most amazing things about the name of God and what Jesus tells us to do in the Lord's Prayer. The God, the same God whose divine name we humans can't even pronounce, has revealed a human name to us. And his human name is Jesus. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Jesus. We can say God's name. Can you believe that? Just stop, and say, just stop for a second and think about that. Jews, for thousands of years, have refused to say his divine name because it's so holy. But then he comes down to our level and reveals a human name that all of us can say on three. One, two, three, Jesus. We can say the name of the creator. We can say the name of our Savior right now. This is so beautiful. We know God's name. This isn't a distant God. This isn't a God who's inaccessible or doesn't love us. He's not unknown. He's not totally out of reach. He came to our level. When I was studying this past week, I stumbled upon a, a prayer that was written around the time of the Exodus, uh, but it was written by pagans. Look at this prayer. May the God I do not know be reconciled. May the goddess I do not know be reconciled. May the god, whoever he is, be reconciled. May the goddess, whoever she is, be reconciled. Y'all, this prayer goes on for pages. 
It's just sad to hear how the pagans had to pray. These nameless, faceless, unknown gods, they were just trying to cover all their bases. May that god I don't know hopefully not be upset with me, and this goddess I don't know, hopefully she's not upset with me, and then whoever he is, this other god, I hope he's not upset with me. Think about living life that way. But we know who God is. The one true God tells us his name because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him so much that he became one of us. And this is the most amazing thing about the New Testament. Jesus is given that divine name, the one we don't know how to pronounce. Paul says in Philippians 2, God highly exalted Christ Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name. Think about that. Everything that was once said exclusively about the God of Abraham, the God who revealed himself in the burning bush that could only apply to that God is now applied to a carpenter from Nazareth who was born 2,000 years ago. When Christ entered Jerusalem, all the gospels say that the crowd said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All of his apostles performed miracles in his name. There were possessed men and women who needed demons to be driven out, and the apostles did that in their name? No, in the name of Jesus. You can actually see the divine name of God in Jesus' name. We say in English, Jesus, but his Hebrew name was actually what we would, we would call him Joshua. And in Hebrew, it's pronounced Yehoshua, which is literally God's name plus the word, the Hebrew word for salvation. In Jesus' name is God's name is salvation. This is the gospel. God's name is so holy that we can never treat it casually, but he wants to be known. He shows himself to us. He reveals his identity. And then, even though we couldn't pronounce it, he came to us, had his own, his own human name, and reveals that to us. And now it is our privilege that we can do everything in the name of Jesus because he tells us to. We can welcome the children in his name. We can gather in his name. We can relieve the plight of the poor in his name. We baptize new converts in his name. We pray in his name. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You have a mission each and every day of your life to raise your kids in the name of Jesus, to love your grandkids in the name of Jesus, to go to your job in the name of Jesus, to go down to community first in the name of Jesus, to give a bottle to a baby in the name of Jesus, to order groceries for your neighbor online in the name of Jesus. You can do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. One of my favorite images from the Old Testament comes from Exodus chapter 28. The high priest of Israel, who was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God, he made a plate of pure gold. And whenever he served in the tabernacle in God's presence, he wore this plate on his forehead, fastened to a turban on his head. And engraved on that gold plate were the words, Holy unto the Lord. The high priest actually had God's name 
on a gold plate on his forehead. And I love that because he was representing God's name to all of the Israelites. And it is our privilege and honor to bear the name of Jesus on our foreheads wherever we go. This is what we get to do. As Christians, we get to bear the name of Jesus. This is why we pray, hallowed be thy name, because God's name is already holy. We can't make it more holy. We can't subtract from its holiness. God's name is the most glorious, most beautiful name above all names. But God can make his name more holy to us. And we can show the holiness of his name to others who don't know him yet. With the hope that they could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Let's pray again this Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.